Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Healing the Nations podcast. And we are continuing our special series on COVID-19 and end-time events. And today we have a returning special guest. We have Pastor Ivor Myers. Pastor Myers, thank you for joining us again. I know your time is valuable. It's good to be on with you, Peter. It's definitely a privilege. Pastor, can you tell us what you've been doing lately in the shelter-in-place ordering? Because you and I live in California. Mm-hmm. Yep, we have been uh, trying to survive on lockdown. So, you know, staying in the house, um, only going out for necessities. Uh, and I have been just uh, super busy online since we've been in the house. So um, sermons online and, you know, teaching different courses online and a bunch of different things of that nature. So I've been very busy, very busy. And we'll definitely have those links on the description so that people could access them. Um, do you prefer preaching online or do you prefer preaching at a live audience? You know, I prefer preaching at a live audience. I've actually never um, done what I've been doing in the last three weeks, particularly on Sabbath. But it is uh, definitely, I actually enjoy it more than I thought I would. Um, being able to preach and just kind of watching the reaction of, uh, of people through Facebook, through Instagram. Uh, it's definitely a different experience, but uh, one that that I actually like. So instead of amens, you get emojis now. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, in a recent meeting, a major meeting you did before this virus uh, broke out, you actually preached in front of one of the cabinet members of the president of the United States, Dr. Ben Carson. How did you feel when you were preaching in front of a major government official? Uh, it was um, definitely a different experience, um, given the fact that I was uh, preaching on prophecy and uh, preaching about things that were related to, um, you know, just everything we see going on in front of us and the political tendencies of uh, people in our church, whether that be to the right or to the left, um, you know, just just speaking the, the truth as uh, I understood, as I have seen it in the word of God, um, it was definitely a different experience, definitely a different experience. Um, so, you know, I just uh, ask the Lord to be with me as I as I speak, try not to be, uh, you know, offensive in, in any way, but at the same time, um, speak the word of God, speak truth. And so that's what I did. Were you nervous? <laughs> it was definitely, I was like, hmm, this is, uh, it was different. It was different. You know, I'm always nervous when I, when I get up to speak. As soon as I open up my mouth to speak, um, all of that goes away and it's just me and the word of God. Um, so that's just something I'm used to all the time. Pastor, I've worked with you for 18 years now, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, back when you were uh, in a beat-up minivan selling cassette tapes of your sermons <laughs> to make ends meet. Yeah, cassette tapes. That's Many right. people don't know what, what that is. Cassette tapes, not even CDs, cassette tapes. Mm -hmm. And throughout your ministry, you've always been known to bring deep thoughts to the Word of God, deep uh, applications 
on Adventist doctrines that people don't see, but it's still the truth. But I've Mm -hmm. noticed in the last few years that you've emphasized more end-time events or last-day events. Can you tell us why you've emphasized last-day events in the last few years more? Yeah, um, you know, I think that uh, as a as a church, we we definitely dwell upon end time events, um, but I think to to a great degree, we miss the most crucial thing about end time events, which is heart preparation, and um, you know, just trying to bring out some applications that people don't typically see um, when we talk about the beast at the end, at the end of time, the, you know, beast from the sea and the beast from the earth. And I'm taking some of those applications and showing how they can apply to the human heart. And so I've really been kind of looking at end time events and not taking away, you know, anything from what is actually going to happen, but, making more um, uh, applications to the human condition, especially as Christians, our condition, how we can actually know the truth and yet still be far away from the truth through our actions and behaviors. So uh, this is practical prophetic time events. Right, right, right. Now, COVID-19 is in everyone's mind right now, even the world. And Mm -hmm. there is definitely this foreboding aura that this is part of the great last crisis. How does COVID-19 fit into end time events? So I definitely, you know, think that what's happening with COVID-19 is, um, it is significant, uh, in the sense that I believe this is a dry run for what is coming. Um, you know, this crisis is revealing the hearts of a lot of people. Um, we are seeing how people behave when crisis hits. And, you know, there is a saying that crisis reveals character. So I think this is a, a um, it's definitely causing a lot of people, especially Christians, to, to realize, to wake up and realize, man, what condition am I in? You know, how am I responding to this crisis? Um, am I fearful? Do I have anxiety? Um, this is, like I said, I believe God is giving us a merciful view of what it would be like were this the catalyst for end time events as we know through the book of Daniel and Revelation. So this is merely trailer to the right to the final episode. Right. This is not, you know, a lot of people are believe that this is the thing that leads to uh Sunday law, leads to, you know, um the abomination of desolation, but um these are still you know, Matthew 24, there will be wars and rumors of wars, um, men's hearts failing them for fear, I mean, different things of that nature. But yet Jesus says, that's just the beginning. So there are other signs, other, I shouldn't say signs, but other things that will happen that will signify um, when we are there, really there uh, at 
the events that are to unfold that will be rapid ones. But this, um, again, I think it sets the stage, but it is not the event that we are looking for that triggers a national Sunday law or, you know, brings about um, the final events as we understand it. Now, there's some, even within the church, that thinks that COVID-19 is fake, it's a conspiracy, that it's just a mechanism from the, for the new world order. You know, I've been hearing a lot of conspiracy theories float around, and I think, you know, as a people, we would do well to stay away from conspiracy theories and preach the gospel. Um, preach the end time events as we understand them and not try to get into the heads of, um, you know, individuals, oh, they're planning this. This is, you know, I think we need to understand that even within the beast system, the people that are in the beast system are doing what they think is right. Now, that may be total deception, but they're still doing what they think is the right thing. So I think, you know, this idea that um, Satan is working hand in hand with, you know, a group of individuals and has revealed his plot to them, Satan doesn't work that way. He's not bringing people in on his plan. He's deceiving everybody. He's trying to deceive everybody. So, and I'm not saying that people don't have bad intent uh, in the world. There are many people in the world that have bad intent, but I just think that we get into a really uh, awkward place when we try to get into people's minds and, you know, this is what they're thinking and this is what they're trying to do. God doesn't call us to read people's minds. He calls us to, you know, preach the gospel and, you know, all the guessing stuff and the, you know, I think this is what's, what's really going on and whatever, whatever that that's, in a certain sense, we don't want to accuse people of something that they're not doing. Even if they're not Christian, we don't want to accuse people of something that that is false. So I think that's very important for us to take in as Christians. You know, don't be a false accuser and be careful of taking what you think is evidence and speaking out against people that you think are involved in conspiracy theories. So in other words, these conspiracy theories uh, elicit too much suspicion and we Absolutely. are judging in a way that we shouldn't judge. Absolutely. Now, connected with COVID-19 and end-time events, uh, I ran across in social media, uh, there's concerns about how the papacy is trying to use COVID-19 to push its climate change agenda. And also, there are some people in our church that are fearful of secular humanism and communism being an instrument to bring the Sunday law. So what are your thoughts on that based on your study of end-time events of climate change and also communism and secular humanism being a threat to God's people? I think that there are many things that play a role in bringing fear upon the world. But when we speak of prophetic events, we have to be careful that we don't make everything a prophetic event. At least 
a prophetic event that we're going to claim is found in the book of Revelation or Daniel, or this is what leads up to a Sunday law. We have a habit of taking anything that happens in the news and looking for a prophetic fulfillment um, and trying to tie it in somehow with Bible prophecy. And I think what this does is it opens the door for all kinds of speculations of how something is going to happen, how this is going to happen, how this is going to unfold. We have to keep our eyes focused on the text of prophecy and not get diverted by, by speculation. Uh, and I think that's what's happening to a large degree. A lot of people are speculating and, and trying to guess how this is all going to come about. Um, and I think the answer is already there in the scriptures. So I believe an accurate study of Daniel, in particular, Daniel chapter 11, Revelation chapter 11, both reveal, and Revelation chapter 13, both reveal that uh, the events that are going to take place have a certain order. There are certain things that will happen. And those certain things are what we need to be looking out for. Daniel chapter 11 uh, and Revelation chapter 11 are extremely clear that communism and, you know, this uh, atheistic sentiment uh, is not going to win the day at the, at the end of time. That's not going to be the power that we are warned against. I was thinking uh, the other day, Peter, of, you know, asking some of the people that that really believe this and really believe that, you know, you got to look out for the non-believer, look out for the atheist, look out for the um, for the communist to show me how many verses in the Bible, in the book of Daniel or Revelation, Revelation specifically, are dedicated to that power. Hmm. There's one chapter. Revelation chapter 11, that is dedicated to the rise of atheism. Every other chapter in the book of Revelation is leading to, pointing to a power that claims Christianity, but is doing the opposite. So out of 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, one of them addresses uh, uh, secularism, uh, atheism, communism, that kind of a um, philosophy. So can you expound more about these two powers and how they play at the end of time? So in Revelation chapter 11, you have um, uh, a power that is described as the beast rising out of the abyss. We understand that beast with you know, everything that Revelation 11 talks about. Um, this occurs close to the end of 1,260 years. So it's around the end of the 1700s. It is a power that is against um, uh, the word of God represented as the two witnesses. Um, and we know that during that time, it was a French revolution uh, that basically was an overthrow of uh, the Christianity that they had experienced during the Dark Ages. This is the, where the rise of atheism took root. And that power is described in Daniel chapter 11 as the king of the south. But when you read about this king of the south in Daniel 11, he is defeated by the king of the north. And from Daniel 11:40 40 onward, it is all the king of the north. 
Um, the king of the north is the opposing power, which is uh, the papal system in part. It's not only the papal system, but it's the papal system in part. And so what ultimately happens is the king of the north, those who stand on the side of Christianity, but a counterfeit Christianity, are going to end up overpowering the king of the south, which represents atheism. Um, one of the key things in the study of Daniel 11 is, one of the key questions rather is, how in the world do you end up defeating atheism? And really there is only one way to defeat atheism. You can't defeat atheism by force. Atheism is a belief system and it can only be changed by changing one's belief. So for atheism to be destroyed, there must be something powerful enough to convince the atheist that his atheism or her atheism is no longer tenable. And the only thing that will do that, because remember, the king of the north is not a godly power. It claims to be, but it's not a godly power. The only thing that can uh, change the mind of an atheist, the, you know, for an atheist, seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. Show me and I will believe. So Daniel 11, 40 onward is actually pointing to the appearing, the counterfeit appearing of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, atheism will be defeated because for the atheist, seeing is believing. And when they see this counterfeit, it will be greater than anything they've ever seen in their life. Uh, we're told it's called the overmastering delusion. It's going to be a very, very powerful event, but satanically powerful. And so this is the event that basically brings the whole world together and sets them up for a Sunday law, including a death decree. If you do not do this, you'll be put to death. So as a Bible-believing Christian, how can we not be deceived when this masquerade occurs? I think the first thing we need to understand is that knowledge alone is not going to save us. A lot of people rest on the, on the idea that, hey, we know that Jesus's feet don't touch the ground. So if I see this being touched the ground, then I'll be good to go. I know it's not Satan, but we need to remember that Satan will appear as a dazzling being, which will tempt to the, that's why Jesus said, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. Remember that John, the revelator, who walked in the presence of Jesus, who walked with him for three and a half years, when John is in vision, when he is in vision, the appearance of one of the angels is so overwhelming that two times he goes to bow down, overwhelmed by the glory of, of an angel. So the angel stops him and is like, you know, I'm your fellow servant. What are you doing? Don't bow down before me. Fear God. Worship God. If John the Revelator was tempted to bow before an angel, uh, that will give you an idea of what it will be like when your senses are overwhelmed by the appearing of this being. And so if we are not 
firmly rooted in a relationship with Christ, um, our knowledge alone will not save us. So what is a relationship with Christ? So a relationship with Christ is um, just as you would think of a relationship with, with anyone else. What does a relationship mean? It means you communicate. It means, you know, when you have a best friend, when you have a child, when you have a spouse, when you know each other uh, uh, so well that you know what the other person is thinking. You know their likes and dislikes. Getting to know Jesus on a personal level is getting to know him uh, as a friend. It's getting to know him uh, as the one who saved you, as the one who redeemed you. He is not just a figure from 2,000 years ago, but you are communing with him personally. He communes with you personally. You hear his voice. You know what that voice sounds like. And um, you have a relationship with him, not a relationship with doctrine alone. And I think that's a, you know, a lot of people have a relationship with doctrine, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. So now going back to end time event sequence. um, So we're looking for sort of a religious revival now because of this, of Satan masquerading as Jesus. So Mm -hmm. will there be an overwhelmingly counterfeit Christianity revival that's going to happen in these times that we should look out for? Absolutely. But remember, this revival comes, you know, when Satan makes his appearance, the Christian world will believe that the millennium has begun. And so those, according to their belief, those who are against Christ in the millennium are enemies of God. So that's basically setting the foundation, setting the groundwork for when Satan comes, those who don't accept him are going to be viewed as going against the great revival, going against the 1,000 years of peace. And it is during the millennium that judgment is given unto the saints. And who are they supposed to judge? They're supposed to judge the wicked. So when Satan comes appearing to be Christ, what is he going to do? He's going to give judgment unto quote unquote, the saints. But who are the saints? They're really the wicked. Who are they going to be judging? They're going to be judging the quote unquote, wicked. Who are the quote unquote, wicked? It's really those who keep the commands of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So there's going to be a role reversal. There's going to be a flipping of the script, if you will, so that those who are serving God will be made to look like opposers of revival opposers of truth and opposers of um of the thousand years of peace so i think a lot of us in the church fall in the trap of just being fixated with social movements and political movements and human instrumentalities when we need to look out for that there's a supernatural element that's right thrust in last day events you know, the parable of the ten virgins is very significant because if you look at that parable, whatever it is that happened that, that uh, caused the ten virgins to wake up, 
it came as a surprise to both the foolish and the wise. All of them were caught off guard. Whatever this event was, there was no sign of it coming. And I think a lot of us make the mistake of we're, we're looking for things that are going to tell us, okay, Satan's about to appear. There's nothing that tells us Satan is, is about to appear. So the signs we're looking for are really non-existent. There is one thing left to happen. That one thing left to happen is the healing of the deadly wound. That is it. That's all we're waiting for. There's nothing else in Bible prophecy that is to unfold um, for us to, to look out for. So when that event is what Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, then know, right, that your redemption is drawn nigh. Then know that's the time you, you run. That is the final sign. There is no lead up to that final sign, right? I mean, yes, we're, we, we're looking at calamities and different things of that nature, but there's nothing that tells us, okay, Satan is about to appear tomorrow or next week or next month or definitely in the next three months or what have you. So when it happens, it catches everybody off guard. This is not something we can't, we're not going to be able to track this through social movements, through you know, the things that we're trying to look for. See, oh, look at what happened over in Italy. Look at what the papacy did here. No, when this happens, everybody's caught off guard. So the key thing is we need to be ready before the event hits. Now, you mentioned that you like to bring personal applications to the Christian life with prophetic events, such as the beast from the abyss and the beast power. How does that apply to the Christian experience and the challenges of the Christian experience? So, you know, one of the things that, um, uh, in fact, I've preached just in the last couple of months is this idea about the image of the beast and what that means um, on a personal level. If on a personal level, if we are not reflecting the image of God, we are reflecting the image of the beast. Like there's only two reflections we can have, the image of God or the image of the beast. Man was made in the image of God. Um, God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. When God made man, he gave him dominion over the beasts of the earth. But when man sinned, he lost that dominion. And the beast now took dominion from over man. We can see that in the fact that it was a serpent that deceived Adam and Eve. So when we don't allow the image of Christ to dwell in it, to transform us, we are subject to the image of the beast meaning we act like the beast, we talk like the beast, we think like the beast. Um, and there's several beasts in the book of Revelation that all have different characteristics, but those characteristics are characteristics like viciousness, um, uh, hypocrisy, looks like a lamb but speaks like a dragon. All those aspects that belong to the symbolic beast can in essence belong to an individual on a personal level Meaning, you may know what the image of the beast is. You may know who the beast with the horns of a lamb is that speaks like a dragon. 
And you might think, I know who that is, and I won't be deceived by it. But if you are looking like a Christian, but speaking like a beast, you are, in essence, already deceived by the beast. So those are the kind of connections that when we look at prophecy, we find a personal application that really speaks to us and says, you know, um, don't think that just because we know truth, we are above uh, you know, being deceived or um, being caught up on the wrong side when things finally go down the way that they that they are supposed to go down. So, in other words, how we treat one another determines if we are a beast of prey or we're the side of the gentle lamb. Absolutely. And so, do you see an issue where Christians are treating their fellow brethren? in a beast-like manner at this time? Absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of that going on in churches, between ministries. Um, it's happening, and it's happening. And it's, I think that's why Jesus says, you know, we are rich and increased with good. Goods think we have need of nothing, yet not realizing just how miserable and wretched and naked and blind we are. And so what is the remedy to our beast-like condition? So, you know, I believe the remedy, the remedy to the image of the beast is the image of God, which is Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, if we turn to him, the Bible lets us know that by beholding, we are changed into the same image. So if we have an image problem, we need to look to, to the image of God to be transformed by him that by beholding him, we become changed. So when I, you know, we go back to many of us have a relationship with the doctrines of the church, but not with the Jesus of the church. Um, we have to understand that a knowledge of doctrine is not what saves us. It's a knowledge of Jesus that saves us. Now, in your past life, you came from a very aggressive uh, lifestyle or culture, mm -hmm. hip hop culture mm -hmm. is very aggressive, mm -hmm. aggressive, battling your ego above another and to humiliate another person. Mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. did you reach that transformation? Because quite frankly, in my 18 years of ministry, you're like the most, one of the most gentle people I know in my life. <laughs> uh, well, I, I would say the transformation um, uh, definitely came from the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, the Lord is still, is still working on me. Um, you know, I, by no means have I, you know, attained. Um, I think he works on me just like he's working on everybody else. But uh, I think when you give your life to Christ, there's a fundamental change that people should be able to identify a difference between the old you and the new you. So, yeah, I mean, you know, old me, anger issues, getting into fights all the time, um, very aggressive, um, new me, different. Very different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of people afraid nowadays, afraid of what's going on, both in the church and outside the church. How can we deal with our fear in this time in Earth's history? I think that we need to redirect our fear and, and to fear God. Um, 
And to fear God means uh, to not fear anything else. It doesn't mean to be afraid of God. The fear of God leads us to not fear anything else. Um, and that's the message that we're given to take to the world, right? Fear God and give glory to him is another way of saying, do not be afraid of these other things. Um, that was Jesus's message. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Um, he has not given us a, uh, the spirit of fear, uh, but of power, love, and a sound mind. When we fear God, which simply means to reverence him, um, the reverence of God takes away our fear uh, of anything that Satan can bring our way. Final question. Mm -hmm. And a simple question. Mm -hmm. How do we get ready for Jesus to come? I, I think that means getting deeper into the word of God and allowing the word of God and the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. Um, the five wise virgins had oil and fire um, or light. We have to be willing to give all for Christ. We've got to be willing to be on fire for him. We've got to be excited about the word of God. We've got to be excited about our walk with him. Um, genuinely excited, genuinely um, in love with Christ. And that is the bottom line, right? If you love me, keep my commandments. Um, the key there is love. We need to learn how to love Jesus. And if we love him, that's all it takes. What is the key to falling in love with Jesus? Uh, I, I think the key to falling in love with Jesus, as I said, is to get, getting to know Jesus. Um, there's a statement, to know him is to love him, um, because he is love. And so how do we get to know him? We get to know him through talking to him. We get to know him through understanding the plan of salvation and understanding what he gave up for us and understanding that not just on a on an intellectual level, but on an emotional level. And I think that's something that a lot of, you know, a lot of Adventists are afraid of, that word emotion. But you love your children, you love them on an emotional level. You love your spouse, you love that spouse on an emotional level. Your parents, it's an emotional level. If there's no emotion in involved, you probably don't love that person. We need to love Jesus on an emotional level. We need to love him on a, on a level of intimacy. Um, and that goes beyond a mere knowledge of truth or knowledge of doctrine, etc. Well, Pastor, thank you so much. Your time is so valuable. I know you have so many projects and so many commitments, not to mention, I know your uh, family comes first and that's your first ministry. So thank you for reserving this, this precious space of time with me in this podcast episode. Greatly appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank and, you for having me on, and um, definitely was a blessing breaking bread with you. Oh, praise the Lord. It's definitely an honor. You're always welcome to come back anytime. And Thank before, you, man. And before we close, can you have a word of prayer for us? Yeah, absolutely. And let me uh, let, just let uh, the listeners know that uh, they, if they would like to follow my ministry, um, 
they can connect with me either on Instagram at Ivor Myers or my YouTube channel, Power of the Land Ministries, um, or my website, same thing, Power of the Land Ministries or powerofthelamb.com. So uh, with that, yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to uh, thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to, um, to uh, fellowship today, Lord, to break bread. We ask, Lord, that um, this podcast might um, be a blessing to those who listen to it. Um, may our hearts and our minds be settled in truth and settled in you, Lord. Again, Lord, we thank you for um, just um, moving upon upon your people to do your work. Thank you for moving upon uh, Peter, Lord, to have this podcast. I pray that you would continue to grow it, bless it, and uh, help it to be a blessing to, blessing to others. And uh, we just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.